everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, Bundesliga Podcast. I'm Manu Feit, he's Stefan Bienkowski and uh, Stefan, I'm in our office. I'm actually in Hamburg um, at Transfermarkt. But how's it going? Yeah, all good. Can't complain, as always. Um, a little sad that this is the final kind of main episode of the season, but there's also a kind of uh, twinge of uh, relief in there as well. Um, it's been a long season. It's been a great season, but I think the downside to every kind of exciting, dramatic season is that you tend to get exhausted by the end of it so looking forward to this i'm already enjoying the summer if i must admit um it was quite nice to not have to cover too much football this weekend but um we both know that that usually means an even more treacherous um period of work for us because the transfer window then opens and then it's kind of all holds barred but yeah for now very good uh and looking forward to talking about two interesting games of football today actually Yeah, no, the two really interesting games of football. And I think we, we need to park a lot of time for, for both of them individually because they're both individually interesting stories, I think. And uh, I was at both of these games. Well, in one case, both of both of those games because it was a two-legged affair, right? Um, but yeah, I think we need to park a lot of time for it. So we should probably take a break now for our sponsor and then come back um, right after the break and, and jump right into it. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your championship final infos, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA and Stanley Cup finals. Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs from basketball and hockey to MLB, UFC, and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. Get the reaction today. Head to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE. B-L-L-E-A-V. B-L-E-A-V. BELIEVE to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. So yeah, Stefan, let's start with the... Let's start with the Saturday game, I think, the the, the German Cup final, right? Um, which, in many ways, turned out exactly like we felt it would. Um, we both said, okay, well, well, if big, big, if big team Eintracht Frankfurt or big game Eintracht Frankfurt show up, it will be a really interesting affair. 
um, if they don't, they, it will not work out really well for them. So at the end of the day, I kind of felt like in this game, we kind of had a little bit of, of both for about 70 minutes or so. It was a big game. I, I thought that they were by far the better team. Um, I thought that they controlled Leipzig really well. They didn't let Leipzig into the game at all. They, um, you know, ensured that Leipzig couldn't get into the dangerous areas. Um, they kept Nkunku and Timo Werner very quiet. Um, and then in the 70th minutes, a ricochet ball, and it was actually deflected twice by Christopher Nkunku, finally beat Kevin Trapp. And it was like the energy just left Eindracht Frankfurt. And from then on, it was all Leipzig. And they ended up winning this game quite easily. They're 2-0 from that moment onwards. So I think we kind of we kind of got the spot on by saying, like, look, there's two outcomes here. Only that we both kind of got them into the same game and it actually still benefited Leipzig. But I think in many ways, I felt like this 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 Leipzig team won this game based on quality simply because Frankfurt could not uh, keep the foot on the paddle for, for 90 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, the old cliche is it's a game of two halves, but this is maybe a game of two thirds and one third. Uh, where the first two thirds were a very kind of tightly contested cup final, and then the second th- or the third third rather um, was a match in which Leipzig really pulled away. But before that, you could certainly see Frankfurt maybe kind of stealing this. You know, I think there's a moment around the 60th minute where Timo Werner goes off injured, Poulsen comes on. Uh, we were talking with subscribers in the kind of Substack chat. I I made the remark. I was like, oh, you know, I think. I think that's a huge loss for Leipzig because, you know, Poulsen, I don't think he, he offers as much as Timo Werner in a sense. Um, but, you know, um, Leipzig kind of turned around. The thing is quite interesting that Danny Olmo gets the assist for the first goal, a player who's just kind of reconfirmed himself or recommitted himself to the club with a new sign, a new deal. Uh, and then, yeah, complete dumb luck from Kunku to kind of get that goal. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he was given the opportunity to cut inside and once a player kind of gets into that position and hits a shot, just about anything can happen and it's up to the defence to kind of make sure they stop him one or two steps before that. Um, and then Nkunku really put on an outstanding kind of moment of class for the second goal where I think it was maybe Danny Olmo kind of running down the left-hand flank where I think everyone thought he was going to pass it back to him and then he kind of cuts it back to Schobeschlei who puts in an outstanding kind of uh, finish and it's probably no surprise that it's those three players who kind of end up winning the day for Leipzig. They're the three players who've kind of shined for most of this season, particularly Schobeslein and Kunku, in my opinion. Um, and they're also the kind of players that, you know, a club like Frankfurt can't really afford. Of course, they've obviously got great forwards in Kolomolani and Lindstrom, but, you know, they have to kind of they kind of have to rummage around the bargain bin and hope that they can uncover a, a gem in, in, the, in that regard for these kind of players rather than an a Leipzig who can kind of swoop in for players like this. They've been swooping in for a number of players this week, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about the transfer show this week, um, you know, to kind of try and compensate for Nkunku's departure. But yeah, it was a game in which I think Leipzig eventually kind of ran out, kind of not maybe comfortable winners, but um, it, it showed the kind of extra kind of yard or two that they have over a team like Frankfurt, which I think if you look at the league table, seems relatively fair um but yeah you're right it was it was it was a kind of spirited performance from frankfurt you know i've we've seen them kind of not really down tools but get completely outclassed this season in certain cup competitions you know i'm thinking back to those two ties against napoli where you know they just didn't even land a glove on them um especially in that first leg and you know it was games like that where you're like right okay 
this is a class, this is a level above Frankfurt and what they're capable of right now. Um, but this this final didn't really feel like that, to be honest. And it now kind of means that, you know, you know, <laughs> Marco Rosa and Leipzig kind of finished the season with a nice kind of warm glow about them. <laughs> um, you know, we kind of, uh, I wrote a newsletter last week about how, you know, Leipzig have kind of low-key been actually really impressive since Marco Rosa came in and they kind of, um, the kind of thing I hanged it on in, in, in a sense was the fact that because it's Leipzig, no one either cares or wants to know about it. So they've kind of gone under the radar as, well, actually they've picked up more league points than any other team in the division since Rosa took charge. So, you know, in that regard, they have literally been the best team in Germany since then. Um, and then, of course, they've also now marched to the German Cup final uh, and won that. Um, a tournament which they are getting more and more accustomed to, it must be added to, it must be said. So, a good finish for Frankfurt, uh, sorry, for Leipzig. And, you know, they're obviously going to lose some players this seat this summer, but I think it kind of puts them in quite a good place to kind of tackle next season. Mm, yeah, no, um, it was really interesting or unique to talk to Marco Rosa after the game because um, I, I put this image on Twitter. So you, if you want to see it, the players obviously came in and showered him in beer. And by doing so, shortened um, all the recording devices in the in the press room that the BFP set up in the bunker of the Olympia Stadium, and uh, which actually was really great for us journalists because instead we did a huddle, right, where we kind of all huddled around Mark Rose. And um, although he smelled really badly of beer, <laughs> um, we got it was it was a more intimate atmosphere to have like it was almost kind of like an open t a round table rather than a press conference because like we could like talk to him one to one almost. And, um, I obviously, you know, for if you want to write something um, on on the final, which I did, right? You you get much better quotes that way because the the coach is more relaxed. He's not sitting behind like a pole um, with a microphone, right? Um, and he seemed quite bullish, um, which about the season and about the future. And you know, we asked him about Conrad Leimer, just like smirked and said like, "Oh, is that confirmed now?" And then we asked him about. And Kunko, he smirked again and said, like, oh, is that confirmed now too, right? Like, we all know, right? Um, and then he said, like, we, we have to do our... Um, we were asking whether, like, the the, the, the silver the silver uh, cup, you know, the one for the, the German championship is the next time. And he once again, he smiled, like, with a bullish smile and kind of said, well, it all depends whether we do our summer, summer homework the right way which we now know and we're going to cover in more depth on the transfer show this week. We know they are doing, right? They're actually moving extremely fast, as it seems. But there is certainly a sense now that um, they're doing all the right steps. And, you know, he was also asked about um, Sobosloy, and I wrote an article on that on Transfermarkt. He basically deflected up as saying, like, look, we're, we just extended our contract with Dan Ormo. We have no... Um, we don't want to really lose key players at this stage anymore. We don't want to because we have ambitions. And um, I find them in a really interesting place. And I find Marco Rose is very much engaged in this process. Um, obviously, he is from Leipzig, right? This is his hometown. It's very special for him to win a trophy with his hometown team. And and so I, I think Leipzig are in a really interesting place at the moment where if they do a few things right, there could be a title contender. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you, as you said, you know, it's a nice moment for Rosa. You know, you can argue about, you know, you can argue to the cows come home about 
Leipzig and the construct of the club and, you know, what it's there for, blah, blah, blah. And there was certainly plenty of people on my Twitter timeline um, kind of pushing back to them winning the cup by once again kind of illustrating or pointing out, you know, their um, disagreement, shall we say, uh, with that sporting project or commercial project, you want to call it. But I think on a human level, it's hard not to kind of sympathize or to kind of feel some kind of degree of appreciation for Rosa because he, he has gone through a difficult kind of few months. He obviously things at Gladbach kind of disintegrated very quickly. Then, um, you know, he got this opportunity at Dortmund, which obviously came before things at Gladbach fell apart and arguably why things at Gladbach fell apart. But anyway, he tries to kind of do things at Dortmund. One way or another, it didn't quite work out for him. Um, in my opinion, and I think we're probably both agreed in this, we've on the record in the show at the time is saying we didn't really think his sacking at the time was um, appropriate or not really appropriate, but fair is maybe the right term. It was a weird situation with Eden Terzic kind of sitting, waiting the wings from day one. Um, and it kind of felt like Rosa was kind of set up to fail at Dortmund to a large extent. Um, so for him to then move to Leipzig, as you said, his hometown club, and to not only bring a lot of joy to their fans, but also to kind of prove himself as well very quickly um, was really impressive, you know. And just for him personally, it's a great season. It's a great achievement. Uh, and you're absolutely right, you know, we talked. We talk a lot about this for Leipzig in the sense that you know, um, you know. Well, actually, we talk a lot about Dortmund in the sense that you know they kind of are only willing to go to a certain level and then they kind of begin to shy away from the responsibilities. But you know, Leipzig are just as, um, you know, they're, they're they're just as big a culprit of this in the sense that they probably have a wage bill equal to, if not higher, than Dortmund's at this point, and. Under successive managers, they have struggled to kind of prove themselves as regular title challengers. So obviously a lot of it will depend on what happens this summer, when Nkunku leaves. I guess if he leaves, I think he's almost certain he is leaving, but again, we still had it. It might might be confirmed by the time the people listen to the show, but um, obviously um, summer transfer uh, moves permitting. Even without Nkuku, this squad's still good enough to challenge for the Bundesliga, in my opinion. You know, they've got players coming in, uh, players they've already agreed to sign who are coming in. Uh, we talked a lot about the fact that guys like Schobislai have kind of stepped up. Timo Werner looks ready to go and kind of to step into Nkunku's kind of goal-scoring shoes. So there's enough there's enough quality there for Leipzig to be a serious contender next season. And I think that's kind of the next step that Mark Rosa has to take with his team because... They showed in the Champions League that they've got guts. They showed that they can kind of take on big teams. In fact, the piece I wrote about Leipzig last week, um, my newsletter actually illustrates the fact that I think the only team out of the top six that actually got the better of both, uh, all the better of Leipzig over two league games is actually Union Berlin, who, you know, as we know, are kind of specifically set up to kind of counter attacking teams. You know, they're obviously a very defensive counter attacking team, but. You know, they got the better of Dortmund, they got the better of Bayern Munich, um, you know, teams like Freiburg, I think Leipzig, or sorry, Leverkusen maybe level with them in terms of over the course of the season. But point is, Rosa has proven that he knows how to beat big teams of Leipzig. Uh, he knows how to win a cup with Leipzig. He knows how to kind of, and as I said earlier on, he knows how to pick up points better than just about any team since he joined the club. So... Um, there's no reason why they shouldn't be title contenders next season. And anything less than that would probably suggest that something's gone wrong. Yeah, no, absolutely. I actually am really kind of fascinated by Marco Rosa um, as a character, as, as a personality. Um, and maybe it actually be really interesting to have him maybe on the show or like have an interview with him at one point because like he does seem like a very 
multifaceted, more in-depth personality than some of the other people in the Bundesliga. You know, uh, the Germans like to use the, the words partisan, charismatic. Uh, so we're just kind of like a mix of the two things, right? Um, and so it would be really interesting to do something more in-depth for Marco at some point because I do think he's a really interesting coach and he's a really interesting personality. So, um, you know, going forward, I think that's something that we should probably schedule. I also want to talk about Oliver Glasner and Frankfurt and what's maybe next for them because it does feel like, and I wrote my piece about that this week, right, that this is kind of like it could be the end of a chapter or it could be the end of an era. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see which one of the two it's going to be. And what I mean by that is that Frankfurt have been really good since uh, winning the Pokal in 2018 to go through different players and coaches, but yet keeping the era alive, right? Like keeping this attitude of the club alive that, um, you know, we lose players, coaches and players come, but like who we are as a club and as an identity stays the same. And um, I'm really curious to see whether Marcus Kuschel now can conserve that because I think it's still very much there. Like if, Mark, if Mario Götze hits that ball a little bit different, um, just before the Inkunku goal, maybe we're talking about a very different outcome here, right? But um, I'm really curious how Frankfurt are going to go forward because for them too, um, they feel like a club that, that is also on, on the verge of doing something different. And um, obviously Dino Topmüller is now the favorite to take over the head coaching position. Frankfurt have already done quite a lot of homework when it comes to signing new players. But I think they're actually a really fascinating club um, going forward as well, Stefan, in terms of what's next for Frankfurt? And I mean, I kind of tried to answer that question already, right? But um, I kind of just feel like this summer is going to be a, a really big and crucial summer for them. I mean, they're in the Conference League, which is a competition I think they can win. Um, but I think they're also in the league. They, they need to finally make that step to actually qualify for the Champions League, maybe through the actual Bundesliga rather than having to rely on winning trophies. Yeah, I mean, you kind of took the words straight in my mouth there. I think most Frankfurt fans would probably tell you that, or even just anyone who watched the Bundesliga, that, you know, Frankfurt over the last kind of couple of years have been a team of a number of highs and a number of lows. You know, obviously Glasner took them to some incredible highs, the Europa League final, winning the competition, German Cups, whatever you want to call it, Champions League. But there's no doubt that over the course of his, se- over the course of his time at the club, and it was something that routinely happened season on season, is that they, you know, I guess they became a victim of their own success in the sense that they played so many cup games. I think you kind of quoted maybe him or Crochet in the article saying that over the last two seasons, I think, yeah, 97 games over the last, what, 12 months, is it? 18 months, maybe? So when you put it like that, it's, it's absolutely bon- 97. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely bonkers. Um, yeah. But uh, 24 that months. is largely yeah. down to the fact that they've they continue or they have continued to have to kind of compensate for their league form with these kind of runs in the cups you know obviously they want to win a german cup because of the german cup but also the other reason is so they can get back into europe uh the europa league was a large extent to get into the champions league as well as winning a trophy don't get me wrong it's obviously an outstanding achievement it's all right um but i think frankfurt's next step is to kind of look at those places that are kind of currently occupied by the likes of freiburg by the likes of union berlin um, you know, and, and, and kind of say to themselves, well, what do we have to do to make sure we're always there, thereabouts every season? Because they've definitely got the budget, they've got the capacity as a squad, as a club, they've got the the support, 
Um, and they've got the players, to be frank. You know, I know we just kind of talked about how they're quite not a Leipzig level, but they've got a squad more than capable of rivaling the likes of Freiburg and Union Berlin, man for man, in my opinion. Um, so they just kind of maybe have to bring in a head coach who's capable of maybe more week-to-week consistency that Glasner maybe struggled with. We all know that Glass is a very good tactician. We all know he's very good at setting his team up to kind of play one-off games. Um, but when it comes to week-to-week, you know, um, league football, I think Frankfurt struggled under me. Kind of reminds me of the opposite of Antonio Conte, actually, who really forged a career in Italy and England as being this outstanding, methodical head coach at kind of building teams that could just grind out performances in the league. But when it came to actually... You know, competing in cup competitions. Like, for example, I think there's a, if I'm not mistaken, I remember what piece for transfer marked about Conte recently, and he hadn't won a Champions League knockout game in about 10 seasons, you know, which is crazy to think about because he's considered one of the best coaches in the world. But some coaches are just very good at one type of competition and just not very good at others. And it's up to Glasner to kind of prove the next clubs he works at that he's, you know, he's very good at both. But Frankfurt need a coach who's capable of kind of, I think, grinding out cup runs and just, confirming that they are a top six side for the next four or five seasons because while this might sound quite unromantic uh the idea the, the idea of just consistently the consistently uh qualifying for europe is probably better financially and in terms of stability for the club than the occasional sporadic run to a final you know so I think maybe maybe fans prefer the other way around. Maybe they like the highs and lows because they get a trip to you know Seville or whatever else it is. But yeah, I think I think Frankfurt need a head coach um, who who can do exactly that. So there's already names that been been talked about. So we'll find out, I guess, in the coming weeks or maybe months who they're going to appoint. But that's the that's how I look at it right now. I mean, obviously they're a bit like Leipzig in the sense that they might have to sell a few players. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of talk about Cole Moani. I've got a feeling they might actually hold on to him, to be honest. There's other guys like Lindstrom maybe moving on and Dika, guys like that. Um, so we might also need a kind of rebuild of the squad as well. But yeah, I think Frankfurt have just put everything in place. They just need to get a coach now who can kind of just turn them into a really good Bundesliga winning machine. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, I think that's that's really spot on. Um, and maybe that's a really good transition to the other big game. Um, before we do that, though, I want to talk one thing, um, and that's actually also a really good transition to that next game that we want to talk about, the atmosphere at the Olympiastadion. Uh, obviously, I wrote about that um, uh, in the my thoughts piece after the game. Um, I mentioned it on Twitter. I mentioned it in the Substack chat. Um Frankfurt fans are unbelievable. What they've done at that game, the three-part TIFO plus the extra TIFO at halftime, uh, I can only about that. That is a fan base that Eintracht Frankfurt can be extremely proud of. They support the the, the club no matter what, um, and it made for an incredible atmosphere. It, it showed what the Olympiastadion can be for big games, and we might see that next season because Union Berlin might be playing Champions League games there, right? Which I actually think Union could probably replicate what Frankfurt have done there. So I want to applaud that and with that also talk about the second leg of the um, the relegation playoffs. Um, Hamburg do not go up. But before we talk about Hamburg and Stuttgart, and Stuttgart is in a similar vein than Frankfurt, I feel, with many ways. You know, we need to talk about Sebastian Hoeneß and the fantastic job he has done. 
we need to talk about Hamburg and what's next. But um, wow, the Volkspark yesterday, Stefan, um, the atmosphere was incredible. Um, if Hamburg had gone up, which it didn't, they would have to thank the fans. Um, the it was incredibly loud, and when the game was over, and Hamburg did not go up and lost the game quite decisively. No one left for a good 15, 20 minutes. Nobody left. They just stayed and they applauded the team. And there was no violence. There was no, um, you know, the kind of whistles that you hear. There was no sense of huge disappointment. It was just in appreciation of for fans what the players have done this season. And I thought that was astonishing. And I think it really deserves mentioning because we've seen it. Auto, especially before COVID, maybe this is something that happened during COVID that fans finally learned how to appreciate what they have by being able to go to stadiums. But um, we've seen games like that go really bad, right? Where the team that did not go up or the games like team that got relegated, where fans rioted, we had nothing even close to it. Um, and I actually thought the interaction between the two fan groups in a game that means a lot was really positive as well. I traveled with the fans to, with the train to the respective games. And there were a lot of Stuttgart fans in Hamburg. There were a lot of Hamburg fans in Stuttgart. And they interacted very peacefully. So I want to just point that out before we go some before we go next. Because the fans um, in, around, in and around Germany over these three massive games have been very impressive. With that in mind, Stuttgart stay up. And Stefan, based on the run of four um, over the last eight games, where they're actually fifth in the Bundesliga standings, um, only... Let me get it straight out of my head. Leipzig, Dortmund, Bayern, and Köln were better um, doing that stretch. Um, I think it was always going to be a really tough task for HSV to A, get something out of this, and after going losing the first leg three, you know, to, to overturn this I think, against a very good Stuttgart side that also came into this game in a very strong form. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think we talked about this actually on the kind of bonus show, which we did after the first leg, in the sense that you kind of can't help but sympathize with Hamburg in the sense that they are kind of ultimately victims of circumstance here. Usually they'd be coming up against a, a Bochum or an Augsburg, for example, or maybe even Schalke to an extent. But because um, of the manner in which Stuttgart managed to get themselves into the relegation spot, <clears throat> thanks Bruno Labbadia, uh, and then kind of drag themselves out of it uh, through some outstanding coaching from Sebastian Jones. I think I tweeted after the game that They've only lost two of tw other 12 games uh, since Hones came into. I mean, we're talking about like the equivalent of like Pep Guardiola just taking over a relegation team and just turning it around uh, overnight. Um, and I do mean that comparison. I'm probably, I'll go on to explain maybe why in, in, the, in, a, in a couple of minutes. But um, yeah, so over the course of these two, these two legs, it was basically Hamburg playing a, a top half Bundesliga team, maybe even a top eight team in terms of man-for-man -man quality. Um, and it definitely showed, you know, um, Stuttgart blew them away in the first leg of the Mercedes-Benz Arena in Stuttgart. Um, and then, although Hamburg started really well in this game, uh, you know, Kittel scores an outstanding finish, uh, like what, six minutes into the game, the crowd are going wild. Um, it still felt like a game in which you could see Hamburg pushing. And actually we saw this in the first leg as well, actually, in the sense that Hamburg were desperate to kind of keep pushing forward and scoring goals um, and Stuttgart were just happy to pick them off and I think that's ultimately kind of what 
stood out to me over the course of both legs in the sense that you have this Hamburg side who are used to being one of the biggest teams in the division. Well, arguably the biggest division team in the Swipe Bundesliga, obviously. But I mean, in terms of like quality on the pitch, they're also used to kind of dominating games, used to dominating possession, used to being expected to win games. And this is the kind of tricky thing about playoff games. And it's not just a Bundesliga thing. It's not just a German football thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a issue. it's an issue that I think we have in general where you pit one of the best teams from the second division against one of the worst teams from the top division because you've you've got all of a sudden you've got a team that are used to going all out to win games having to actually play as the underdog and that's something that I think Hamburg really struggled with over the course of both legs because you know I tweeted this uh, during the game as well and it's a kind of pet peeve of mine and it's something that kind of just manifested and just kind of continued to kind of grow arms and legs over the course of the match and kind of really annoyed me from the first 90 minute in the sense that you know obviously there's there's such a huge emphasis on teams being possession based on being sleek counter-attacking teams on being able to pass the ball off the back of the net back of the defense and it's a style of football that has kind of permeated throughout the whole of you know professional football in just about every country you see teams in the Second, third tiers, um, as long as they've got decent football pitches, there will always be a team trying to play the kind of possession-based football. And I think that's fine when you are the best team in the division because you can just pass around the other team because by nature you have better players. But for a team like Hamburg, who are coming into this game against a much better technical team, it just meant that they had no chance. And as I tweeted at ha- uh, during the game, like Hamburg spent most of this game putting out fires that their own fullback started because... They just didn't know how to do anything except try to pass the ball through Stuttgart, and it just didn't work over and over again. And I think you made a really good point about this in the kind of uh, our Substacks thread. We were talking to subscribers about it, and you kind of drew the comparison to Schalke, who got promoted by playing a far more basic, not so much Route 1 football, but a far more pragmatic style of football. And, you know... It's up to the like. It's end of the day. It's up to football fans. They pay the money to go to these games. They buy the season tickets. Um, they get to cheer on the club or boo them or decide who gets to be the head coach, etc. But if I was a fan of one of these clubs who's kind of yo-yoing between the Zwei Bundesliga and the Bundesliga, I'd much rather my club played the kind of football that Schalke played because it it just it just sets you up far better uh, to kind of deal with matches like this now i know listeners are probably saying well Schalke just got relegated so what the hell do you know but and it's a fair point but i think thomas rice in a sense yeah well they probably will it'll be interesting to see it'll be interesting to see how they compare because hamburg i think they announced they're going to keep their head coach on for next season so they're probably going to they're probably going to stick with this tactic uh and it'll be interesting to see how they compare to Schalke next season because I just I just think unless you are Bayern Munich or Dortmund or Leipzig, um, you should have a you sh- you should be able to play a more pragmatic defensive style of football because at the end of the day, and I've kind of talked about this before when I've gone off on rants about gigging pressing, um, if you're one of the poorer teams in division and you're playing the same type of football and the same tactics as the best team in division, nine out of ten times you're never going to beat them because you're both playing with the same set of cards and but they've got better players so that's what kind of stood out to me in this game. I don't really want to kind of beat up on Hamburg too much because I feel really bad that they didn't get promoted and like I said, I think that I don't think the Bundesliga is quite the Bundesliga without them, to be perfectly honest with you. Um but 
it's 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 something that I've noticed throughout German football, uh, not just foot, German football, it's across our divisions. But it'd be interesting to see how they respond to this uh, and what happens next season. Um, but yeah, we'll, 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 I'm sure we'll do a lot more on Hamburg this summer um, and the kind of and what kind of happens next for them. But for now, I guess they just kind of have to go home and lick their wounds, don't they? Yeah, so my my next week's newsletter is on HSV, which make, you know because I've got a lot of quotes and I talked to some people here in Hamburg and like over the next few days I'm here, so I want to do some more on that. Uh, kind of makes sense, right? Um, to do that, I have a lot of I have a lot of thoughts on HSV. Um, you already alluded to it. I I did say some of it already in our Substack chat um, to our subscribers. Um, I think one of the big issues with HSV is that it is the club of merchants and bankers. It is, uh, and you know, there is another team in Hamburg, St. Pauli, that is the, the team of the, the harbor workers and the red light district. You know, St. Pauli can play that dirty kind of football because the clientele is okay with it. Hamburg HSV is a team of rich people. Um, you know, it's a team of people that have success in their lives and it's a team, it's a team that has a very similar kind of fan base to Bayern Munich. Um, and that comes with a certain amount of expectations and that comes also with a certain cultural set. And that cultural set doesn't translate well to the second Bundesliga. Um, you know, like fans there will have a very hard time accepting that their team is one of, um, you know, crystal defenders and um, hardworking defensive midfielders like Olio Berlin had when they went up, right? Um, and that is, I think, a huge problem for them because, like, as you said, when they when they play good football in the second Bundesliga this year, I mean, it's, it's cruel, but they're the, the best not promoted second Bundesliga side in history with 66 points. And, you know, any other year they probably would have gone up. But unfortunately for them, that style of, and they, they're not learning because they've done it now for, what, five years, is it just doesn't work in clutch games in this division. The second Bundesliga is, in my opinion, one of the best second divisions in the world. It's probably a top 10 league in Europe, right? Um, you know, the only other second division I think that is in that same category is the championship in England. But even in England, you look at the championship, you can't play pretty football every game. It doesn't, you know, you're not going to get away with it. And I think that is something that from a cultural aspect, a lot of people in and around Hamburg are still struggling with, right? Because like they feel like that they... And I mean, they're right. They are probably the second or third or fourth biggest team in, in Germany. They are a team that historically in the 80s and 90s were seen as a natural competitor for Bayern Munich. It's kind of like that north-south counterpoint. And I think... Could I could I also... Could I just add another comparison? We talked about a moment ago, but Schalke, if you look at the way that Thomas Weiss's Schalke team played this season, very hard-working, a lot of water carriers, um, you know, in the sense that there's no kind of real... Except maybe like Salazar or something, there's not really a lot of smart te- technical players. It's all very hardworking players. Schalke fans love that because you know it's, it's a it's a very kind of you know working class cl- town. It's an old mining town, as we all know. Uh, the club obviously spend a lot of take a lot of honor, a lot of pride in that. But culturally, that means those fans are far more comfortable with eleven players in the pitch just running into the ground for them. And as you said, that's such a stark contrast to Hamburg, where. You know, you walk down the kind of gold-plated streets and there's like Armani shops and, you know, Dolce Cabana, whatever you want to call it. Um, very different from the St. Pauli region of Hamburg. But, you know, for people who've never maybe been to Hamburg, it's 
well, it is our, our, technically one of the richest places in Germany. It's got one of the highest GDPs per you know square mile, uh, which seems like a very German thing to know, but <laughs> I, I do seem to know that. Um, so yeah, it's 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 like it's it's chalk and cheese, and as it's a really interesting point that you make actually about maybe culturally they're not really prepared to roll up their sleeves and you know put in the hard work that a team like Schalke or Bochum have done in recent years. Or St. Pauli this year, right? St. Pauli too. Like they they understand the league much better, and it, it's it's I think it's a really tricky thing for them because I think that once they do get out of this division, and I'm I'm certain of this, they'll be fine. Um, you know, they get out of the second Bundesliga and they'll probably do what Stuttgart or Frankfurt have done when they went back up and be just fine. It's just getting out of this division can be really difficult. And, and especially if you don't have the right cultural mindset. And I I really like Tim Walton and Blatty saying, and I, I think that he is the right coach. And I think that if they play the same season as this year, they'll they they probably go up. Because like you're not gonna get not promoted with the best point total for non promotion side twice in a row. Like no one is that unlucky. Well, maybe Hasbro will be, but like <laughs> technically no one is this unlucky. And um I do think that if they draw some right conclusions from from this season, um, that they will be in a good place. And I, I have to say I'm really impressed by how they close their ranks by not being promoted. Um, you know, there was no, we have to change everything, which I, I think actually would be the wrong thing to do because like I talked to my colleagues here in Hamburg and they're like, well, we changed everything every year, every year we changed it and didn't work. And when you actually look at the season on balance, they played a really good season in the second division. Um, and so maybe not changing something is actually the right thing to do because if they play the same season again, they'll get promoted. Um, so I, I'm like. I guess I'm like the, the roller back guy rather than the rebuild guy in this in this conversation. But they will have to do some couple of small things. They will have to bring in some grizzled veteran presence that can just help this team get over the line. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, well, I guess we just have to wait and see what happens with Hamburg. But you then kind of draw that comparison to Stuttgart, who kind of ironically will probably have to have a bit of a transition season despite being the victors in this circumstance, you know. Um, we have no idea kind of what players are coming and going. Um, you know, there's obviously a huge amount of speculation. I think there were probably a lot of clubs around Europe licking their lips at the prospect of Stuttgart going down because they really do have five or six players who are easily top half the Bundesliga stars. You know, Borna Sosa, Mavropanos, uh, some of the forward players as well. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see what happens now because you're now... the, the really can't overstate how dramatic a U-turn Stuttgart have done on their own is. You know, we talked about the, you know, how many games they've they've won or, or avoided to lose. Um, you mentioned their form table in the Bundesliga. Um, and you kind of wonder if they can kind of go into next season with this squad largely intact and put on the kind of performances we've seen off them in the last kind of like two or three months, then we're talking about a team here, Mario, they could potentially really leapfrog a lot of clubs in the Bundesliga next season and could quite comfortably finish the top half of the season. Uh, sorry, top half of the table. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, um, Borna Souza said yesterday in the mixed zone in his state of euphoria that he's going to stay, that Stuttgart is his home, he's been here for five years. Not sure I'm 100% buying it, but he said it. Um, <laughs> which may be bad or good news for Stuttgart because they might have to sell him to get money. To, to sign other players, right? But um, 
So keep an eye on that. But yeah, they look like in a really good place. And I, I think if there's a few teams further up the table, like if you're a Mainz, you're an Augsburg, or uh, you know, even like a Freiburg, or even maybe an Union, that you have to look over your shoulders because if the team plays like they did this year uh, under Hoeneß, then there's a good chance that they can push for even like maybe a spot for the conference league. Um, I do think that they are that good. And like, you know, I had an Eintracht Frankfurt fan say to me that, oh, we were lucky to get to the final and we had a lucky draw. And I'm like, oh, that semi-final against Stuttgart was actually a pretty tricky draw, right? I mean, Stuttgart could have been very well the team in the DFB Pokal final and playing the relegation at the top of it, uh, which I think would have been very tricky for them. So I think they dodged a bullet there. But, um, you know, they're a good team. They're a really good team. And if they draw some right conclusions from this season as well, then, you know, they don't need to change much. They just need to change a few things. Um, and, you know, in sporting director Volgamut and in head coach Sebastian Hoeneß, who I know you are a huge fan of, they have the right people in charge now. Yeah, and it's so vital that they keep these guys in charge because there's been so much upheaval at the club, whether it's down to, like, the president, chairman, um, you know, we saw Sven Mislintat, kind of sporting director. I don't know if it's a sporting director or director of football. These things are always so interchangeable to yeah. me, but either way, Same thing. He's, he, he's moved on to Ajax <laughs> and we had a kind of, you know, carousel of head coaches come along with and I was quite comfortably or quite vocally on the record about how much it annoyed me that they just decided to plot for Bruno Labbadia at the end of last year and how much of a disaster that was. Who would have thought that would have been the case anyway? And it makes you kind of go back as well and think, you know, you talk about um, we talk about what would have happened if Leipzig had appointed Marco Rose at the start of the season or Schalke had appointed Thomas Rice at the start of the season. But can you imagine if uh, Stuttgart had managed to kind of coax Honest to the club even two months, one or two months earlier, then they would have probably been able to avoid all this mess quite comfortably. So, yeah, I'm actually a huge fan of Honest. Uh Thought he did a great job at the previous club he was at as well, and in the sense, you know, at Hoffenheim. And I don't know, I think, you know, maybe it's just his name that kind of automatically drives, draws him to, to Bayern. Obviously, he was there as a, a youth coach, if I'm not mistaken, so he has got some kind of experience there. He kind of gives off kind of Julian Nagelsmann vibes where you can you can appreciate where or you can maybe see where the kind of narrative begins to kind of draw uh, some sort of momentum uh, and you know before long maybe people are saying well you know he's he's always been a Bayern man and you know it's only natural that he comes back eventually to the club um, but yeah I think he's I think he's shown himself now I mean look I'm, I was going to say he's he's, he's he's still not exactly. Um, completed his job at Stuttgart obviously he's done the first job he still has to go spend a full season doing a good job of it and you know arguably doing it after they've lost lost one or two star players because that's just the kind of uh, reality of being a Bundesliga head coach these days from one season to the next but if he can then I think Stuttgart are onto a great thing and I think fans would probably tell you they just want some bloody stability you know they just want to finish ninth or 10th for a couple of seasons push up for European spots not have to worry about relegation and, you know, we talk about the Hamburgs of this world and the Schalkers of this world, but Stuttgart are one of the biggest clubs in Germany too. They have to be fighting for top six spots. They should be fighting for top six spots. It's a great town, or a great city rather. It's a fantastic stadium, great set of supporters. Um, and they're just yet another kind of fallen giant in German football. They're hopefully trying to get back on their feet. Uh, but yeah, I'm really excited to see what they can do next season. Um, you know, big fan of Hohen is. I said in our kind of group chat, our, our, our chat with subscribers, I think he's a future Bayern head coach. You're welcome to kind of quote me on that and we'll see what happens in the next four or five years. 
I'd be interested to see what he can do between now and then before, you know, Tuchel Lebley leaves the club in the next two or three seasons and we'll see what happens with that. But yeah. I don't know. It's 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 a nice end to the season for for Stuttgart. You know, they they were up they've the fans have gone through absolute hell and torment this season and they now get to kind of come out of it all smelling of roses in the sense that they've avoided relegation, but they've also got a great head coach in place for next season. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um goodness the name says it all. Born in Munich as well. Um, obviously, he's the um, Sebastian Hunes is the, the son of Peter Hunes, right? Holy Hunes' brother. Um, so, you know, there's that. Um, but yeah, you kind of make that link. It, it kind of makes sense. So uh, we'll see what happens. But Stefan, before, before we wrap this up, we, we kind of have to make a couple of announcements here. Um, this show, this is our last show for, for the season. Don't worry, it's not our last show forever. It's just the last free show for the season we're going to have. Obviously, the show is behind the paywall still for, for the summer, uh, the transfer show, the, a few specials. Um, I don't think we're coming back to the show till, until maybe July or unless there's something major happening. So maybe just want to announce that as our summer roadmap um, because this the, the regular season is now done. Uh, the the Pickle is done. So yeah, just want to kind of put something on that um anything else that we need to add before we wrap this up i, w- I would just uh also implore people to sign up if they enjoy listening to the show give us a listen i think you can get a month free trial uh on the sub stack so give that a listen see if you enjoy the transfer show and the bonus show I don't think it's too much to ask in terms of what we play what we ask subscribers to pay for i'm sure subscribers would be happy to say it's worth the money because they get a lot out of it i think so uh, so through the summer we'll still be doing two shows a week for them but also um if you can subscribe or you don't want to subscribe, you can also just go along to our YouTube channel and subscribe to that because while we don't put out the full shows that are behind the paywall, of course, that would make more sense, but we do clip up sections of it, maybe like you know a quarter or a third of each show and stick it on YouTube as well. So um, you can always just kind of keep on top of things on that as well. So yeah, but until then, I guess it's goodbye for the summer, isn't it, Manu? Yeah, enjoy your summer if you're not a subscriber. Um, we'll be back soon. As always, this show is brought to you by Bet Online. And yeah, enjoy the summer holidays. Um, until next time, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.